0: Hello, I'm Pastor Zach Hoffman, and I'm the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Gainesville, Georgia, where we seek to know Christ and love one another. We do this by witnessing faithfully, transforming our homes into places where the Word of God dwells, and by investing in the communities around us. We hope that you enjoy this podcast, and if you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning, our service times are at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. God's blessings. i invite you all to open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 3 as we begin this morning. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service when we were just introducing our worship for today, that we would be in Genesis for today and for Wednesday, even though we're in a series that takes us through the book of Exodus. And the reason being is that what we have in Genesis 3 and then on Wednesday, when I see all of you again at 7 o'clock for our worship service, Uh, In Genesis 12, we'll find some texts that are foundational for our understanding of the book of Exodus. So I invite you again to open up to Genesis chapter 3 as we today look at the fall. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Ernest Gordon was a British soldier who was captured by the Japanese during World War II, and he was forced to work and live in a Japanese prison camp. As an aside, this, for those of you who are historical buffs, this is the same camp, or the same group of prisoners in this camp, that built the infamous bridge over the River Kwai. And Ernest Gordon found the conditions in this prison camp to be, let's say, one star at best. You see, in this camp, of course, starvation was rampant. Disease also was everywhere. There was the cruel treatment they received from the guards and the relentless work schedule that was given to them that was on the level of slave labor. And I can't compare all those different sufferings and and evaluate each one of them individually or rank them, but I would have to imagine that the worst part of being there, or at least one of the very top worst parts of being inside of that camp was none of those outside things. Nothing about, not the way the guards treated them or the relentless work or the disease or the starvation, but one of the worst things about being there was the way that the other prisoners treated each other. You see, in this camp, there was this mindset of survival of the fittest. The, the dead were simply forgotten. The sick were resented because they were holding the group back. People did not share their food. They hoarded it. Everyone was working on their own, completely for themselves. They were just trying to survive. And so, in this camp, these men were separated from their leaders. They were separated from one another. And they also found a struggle against the work that they were called to do. In this camp, Ernest Gordon and all these other prisoners felt most acutely the consequences of the fall. And we find the consequences of the fall introduced to us in Genesis chapter 3. We find that after Adam and Eve have sinned, they are separated from God. They're separated from one another. And yeah, they even notice a separation and a struggle against the very world in which they live. Adam and Eve were created perfect. And they were placed in a garden that was also perfect. It was secure. It was peaceful, prosperous, and abundant. It was the place that they were to raise their family and make a home for themselves. And all of it was a free gift to them from God. But God had one command. And that command was to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the serpent was more crafty than any of the other creatures in the garden. And he spoke to Eve from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he spoke to Eve alone. And I don't think we should read into that, that Eve was somehow weaker or somehow more gullible or more susceptible to temptation. But the old rule goes that two are stronger than one. So if that's true, then one is always stronger than two, or one is always weaker than two. And so God spoke to Eve and Eve alone to isolate her from Adam in the conversation. And so Eve was tempted and she ate from the fruit of the tree. And immediately after she gave the fruit of the tree to Adam, who also ate, they both heard a sound that they had never heard before. It was the sound of their own conscience screaming at them that they had done something wrong, and consequences were coming, so it's, better, it's time to better run and hide. And then they heard another sound, a more familiar sound. But they heard in a way that was far more terrifying than what they had heard it before. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. A sound that once used to be, I imagine, a great comfort is now a terrifying sound. So Adam and Eve hide. And this is the first Separation. They think that the trees in the garden will cover and conceal their presence from God. Now, I know that that sounds silly to to think that you can try and hide from God. But ask them in that moment of crisis whether they thought it was silly to try and hide from God. And while you're at it, you can go ahead and you can ask Moses. Moses, who murdered an Egyptian before he was called to be the leader of Israel, he murdered an Egyptian and he fled Ask him if he thought it was foolish to try and run. Ask Jonah, who was called to go and preach to a people he resented in the city of Nineveh, if he thought it was foolish to run in that moment. And when you're done asking all of those people, you can go ahead and you can ask yourself. Because ever since Adam and Eve fell, we all have taken our turn hiding from God. We do it by trying to justify our actions, trying to frame things just right so that, you know, what we do isn't really all that bad. We are incredibly hesitant to make amends and to make things right with one another because that making things right begins with a confession that exposes the wrong that we have done. We have tried to build lives and find meaning and purpose in anything and everything but God, and in all of these ways we have been hiding, thinking that we can build things up around us that secure us and keep his presence away. But if you notice, God treats them not as an enemy in verse 9, and you can read along if you have your Bible open. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? Notice he doesn't say, come out, idiots, which he could very well say. But instead, he says, where are you? God here first reveals himself as a shepherd who seeks out his lost and sinful and shameful sheep. Where are you? This is grace to Adam to draw out his confession that God might heal. But Adam is scared, and he sees it as a threat. So he launches his own subtle attack here against God. Verse 10 says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I was afraid of you, God. You startled me. You showed up unannounced. I wasn't ready for you. Why are you coming to me now, God? But God, ever the shepherd, continues to ask questions so that he might draw out the confession. And so verse 11 says, Who told you that you were naked? And Adam responds with the most direct attack now. Verse 12, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, And I ate. The woman you gave. (laughs) God, you gave me Eve. And then she gave me the fruit. What was I supposed to do? I think you and Eve need to fix this and figure it out. It's not my problem. It's the woman you gave to me. And so Adam blames God. And the fall increases and it moves more rapidly. And ever since then, we have been confusing God's grace for his wrath. We've been confusing his presence for a threat, and we have desired to hide from him and run away at every opportunity. And this is why we see these things happen in the book of Exodus. This is why the nation of Israel is the way that they are and why we are the way that we are. So take, for example, whenever Moses goes to Pharaoh and he tells them, let my people go, and Pharaoh responds by increasing the oppression on the slaves of Israel. Or or whenever... Whenever they're trapped against the Red Sea and the army of Egypt is coming to slaughter them and they're terrified. Or whenever they're out in the wilderness and they feel just those first pangs of hunger and thirst. In all of those examples, the people of Israel turn back and attack God and wish they could hide again. They say things like, have you led us out here to die? I wish we could go back to Egypt where at least there we had pots of meat every day. They would rather hide underneath their slavery than stand out as God's chosen people. And we have done the same. This sin has brought separation. But not just separation, but we have confused who God is with our worst fears. And so we hide and we attack. The next separation comes between Adam and Eve. It's again Adam and Eve are hiding together in the trees, but before that, you have this curious verse, verse 7. After they've taken the fruit in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, as people who wear clothes, this is weird, right? Because how did Adam and Eve not know that they were naked? Uh, I think that all of you, if you were naked, would know it. In fact, that's the very reason why you all got dressed this morning. And frankly, good job. And and so here (laughs) you have Adam and Eve who somehow didn't realize that they were naked. And yet we also see that God came and walked to them in the cool of the day. So there were fluctuating temperatures in this garden too. And that could have also been a sign that they were naked, yet somehow they didn't realize it. They didn't realize it. And I would tell you that perhaps the reason why is that Adam and Eve are looking at each other and not themselves. You see, God created Eve because it was not suitable for man to be alone and so Eve was a helper to him. Their relationship was perfect, they complemented one another. And when they were together they looked only at the other person. Adam looked only at Eve, Eve looked only at Adam because they didn't need to look at themselves. And that is a radically different idea for us today because in every single human relationship we have to have some level of healthy guardedness. We have to have some level of distance from another person. We have to have some way in which we are able to create time and space for ourselves. But they were once perfect. They could look at each other and look at each other alone. Adam could look at Eve. Eve could look at Adam. Adam. And Adam did not have to worry about self-care or or defending or protecting himself because Eve was looking at him and, and looking after him. And Eve didn't have to worry about those things either because Adam was looking at her. And yet now it's every person for themselves. Certainly they hid together, but then as the conversation goes, the conversation we just read, Adam not only blames... God, but he blames Eve, and then Eve blames the serpent. And So here, it's interesting to me that in the face of this curse, in the face of all these painful separations and consequences, one of which being that Eve's pain and child labor would be multiplied, that even bringing in family into this world would be difficult and painful. But in spite of all of that, Adam and Eve are not doomed to live lives in isolation. The ability to bear children is not taken away from the world, not taken away from mankind. And so that first blessing given to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply still remains even around and under and within the curse. And so when we flip our Bibles to Exodus, we see a people that are multiplying rapidly and, went, and to the point that they even begin to outnumber the Egyptians. And then this people of Israel, when they're oppressed, they continue to multiply all the more. So much so that it's believable to Pharaoh that after he gave the command that every firstborn son of Israel should be killed, he finds it believable that the midwife simply can't keep up with all the babies being born. And when we see this, we see that while the curse exists for all people and for all relationships, that the blessing still remains as well. That in this little snapshot of the people and their slavery still multiplying, we see that God has not forgotten his blessings and will establish them once again in the world. And this is great news because you and I deal with every relationship, the sense of guardedness and fear. And we ask of every relationship, what will I get out of this? When when Adam and Eve are, are, are cursed, it says that Eve's desire will be for her husband and he will rule over you. And guys, that's not good news. That's not the kind of desire you might be thinking about. It's that Adam and Eve will be competing against one another for leadership and resources within the family. It means also that in other relationships and friendships, people will be looking at friendships as a source of personal gain. People will look at fellowship, like our fellowship here, and we will come in and we'll be asking ourselves, well, what am I taking away from this for me? And yet in the midst of this curse that we bear, in the midst of this unbridled selfishness, God blessed Adam and Eve, and that blessing remained. And it continued on to the people of Israel that there would be a community, that there would even be a nation. And so as the people of Israel are multiplying and growing rapidly, we see the first hopes that this nation would be a community that loves one another. that within these families relationships could be healed and restored again. And that's incredible news. Because again, one of the big topics that we have here in, in this series is what it means to be a chosen people, which is really about what it means to be a church. And I'll confess to you that, that there are times where even I forget that. I walk into church and I think to myself, oh, I don't know if I'll get a lot out of this, or I'd rather be doing something else. I'd rather be out doing something And I'm susceptible to those temptations, as are you. And we walk in with that certain amount of selfishness. And yet we see the people of Israel multiply. And we remember that from Eve's womb would eventually come one. One who would defeat the serpent. One who would not fall to his temptations. And one who in his relationship with us would look only at us and not to himself. One who would sacrifice himself even. Who would give his body to cover our shame? That one is the Christ, the eventual offspring from Eve's womb. And thus, she's the mother of all the living. And because of that, because of that, we have healing and hope for all of our human relationships. We can be a people that once again discovers the joy of not what I'm getting out of this, but instead the joy of being a people, the joy of being together, the joy of being a church, the joy of looking at one another in love. Christ would come eventually from Eve and through his death and resurrection, the healing of these separations would begin. And finally, Finally, there's a separation between man and the world. God says, cursed is the ground because of you. And you might need to turn the page in your Bibles, but we can look at this. Verse 19 of chapter 3. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And away the land would make man its slave. By hard labor, by sweat, and working constantly through many failures, man would be able to feed himself. That from the ground, through that hard work, through crisis and disaster and all of that, he would would have to endure. He would be able to eat and live. And also the ground would eventually claim every person For remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. The ground would take man no matter how far he tries to run, no matter what he does to overcome it, no matter what effort he makes to live, eventually the ground would claim him. The ground would own him. The dust of the earth becomes the earth's graveyard here. And I find it funny then that as we look at the book of Exodus, the way in which God fed his people, Because they go out into a barren wilderness where they don't have opportunity to plant and sow and do all that as they're traveling. And God provides for them. But he doesn't provide for them by saying, hmm, now your belly is full. I've just decided you don't need to eat food. You don't need to worry about that. Let's just take that part out of your day. That's my grace to you. Your belly is now full. Right? He doesn't do that, nor does he take bread and put it on the table every morning. The bread doesn't just appear on the table, nor does he put it in their hands or in their laps. And all of these things, God could have certainly chosen to do. But what does he do to feed Israel? He says that you will have bread that will form on the ground with the dew of the morning. That right on top of the earth's graveyard, they would find life not only that, but he was leading them into a land, a promised land that would be fruitful and abundant, while not Eden itself, Eden-like. And as we consider this, maybe we think that the curse does not last for forever. Maybe what God is doing is providing a glimpse of something greater to come. And while those people could only glimpse it, we have seen it in full. Christ, who is exiled out of Jerusalem to die on a hill. Jerusalem, the place that was most Eden like, because that was the place where God was thought to dwell with man. And so Jesus is cast out of there to be crucified on Golgotha, a hillside outside of the city. He is exiled away from the place where it was thought that God would dwell, and he gives his life there, shedding his blood on the cross, that we would gather here and receive that body and blood, that body that covers our shame, that delivers forgiveness and salvation and life, right on top of a world that is filled with death. And if that is true, then your sufferings, the consequences for your actions that you face and you might be dealing with now, the broken relationships, the distance you feel from God, none of that means that you are living an exile because of sin. Because you have been called and gathered here to receive God's gifts, your life is not an exile, it's an exodus in the glory glory that he has prepared for you. Even now, God is healing our struggle against the world itself through the body and blood of Jesus Christ and leading us on an exile into glory. Ernest Gordon felt these kind of blessings miraculously fall into place in the camp that he was held prisoner. A slow change began among the prisoners who were feeling separated, yeah, most certainly from God and from each other, and were toiling and struggling to build a bridge under slave conditions. The officers in this camp who were also captured, began to share their food with others. And Ernest Gordon himself fell ill, and that normally would be a death sentence except for the fact that some soldiers came by regularly and washed his wounds every day. Kindness began to grow amongst them. But then, then tragedy struck. A crisis happened. A Japanese guard took inventory and noticed that a shovel was missing. And so every prisoner was called to line up in front of the Japanese guard and threats were shouted, And they were condemned as men. They were told that this was a crime against the emperor himself. And no one came forward. And so the threats increased. And soon the Japanese soldiers were yelling nothing but, All die! All die! All die! But then one man stepped forward. And he said, I did it. I stole the shovel. And the prisoners had to watch as he was beaten ruthlessly and killed Front of them. Another count was taken, and it turns out that it was a mistake. No shovel was stolen. It's just that the shovels were miscounted. But that death mattered. That death was remembered when death used to be forgotten by the prisoners. And it changed them. And when Ernest Gordon later reflected on his time in that prison camp, he said something like this, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But he said selfishness, envy, laziness, greed are all things of death. But self-sacrifice, love, creative faith, these are the things of life that turn mere existence into living in its truest sense. And these things are a gift from God. Amen.